Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of Create Ideas in Commercial Real Estate. This is your host, Ashley Koltonsky. Welcome. Good morning. Good evening. I don't know what time of day you're listening to this, but I'm happy you push play. Today's episode is going to discuss design principles. And I have a book here sitting here that I have gone through. I actually haven't read this in maybe a year or two, but it was really fun to go back through. A lot of the these ideas from this book that I'm going to share with you are things that I use intuitively now in my job and on a regular basis as a designer and a com- like communications designer. The the principles in this book are ideas that are based on research and studies of human behavior. So it comes, it it talks about like why we do, why we make choices or how we can like understand information. And so there are these different principles that they highlight and explain like why humans perceive this easier or how we make meaning out of something So they are based on human response and human instinct and subconscious and human motivation. So really cool book. Again, it's, I don't know if I mentioned this, Universal Principles of Design by William Lidwell, Kratina Holden, and Jill Butler. So if you're a graphic designer, maybe you've read the book uh, or, or checked it out. It's one that I absolutely wanted to keep from grad school that I said I will refer back to this. So here I am sharing my favorites with you guys. And I also wanted to tell you, I categorize some of my favorites into three different um, buckets. So first bucket is visual design tips. That is pretty self-explanatory. It's ideas on visual design elements and um yeah, I don't, I don't need to over explain it. Visual design, the way that we see things in, you know, print or pieces of work that we design for the, the internet or a website or whatever it is. So the second bucket is design for memory. So I, I collected a group, uh, I don't know, five, six or seven different design principles that really tie into how we memorize things or how we recall information. I thought that was super important to touch on because we're so oversaturated with information nowadays. So how can we as designers and marketers and communication professionals uh, think about these principles and use them in our marketing strategies so that the information we're trying to share is recalled and and remembered. Obviously we want that. Um, And then the last little baby area of content that I wanted to talk about, and I say baby area, I don't know why I described it that way because there's only a couple, but spatial design. And I think this is important in commercial real estate, obviously for the listeners who do um, design work, if you're an architect or you design space, but also for, commercial real estate people who have to just create a space, maybe to market a property, maybe a spec suite, or maybe a marketing suite. There's just a couple things in here that I think are important when it comes to spatial awareness and how humans 
are impacted by some some spatial design elements and ideas. So without further ado, let's jump right in. I'm going to start with visual design tips. So the first couple may seem pretty obvious and you might already know them, but I just thought they were important enough to discuss. Alignment is the first one. It is the placement of elements so that the edges line up. Um, so if you think about a page of information where the data or content is kind of all over the place and there's nothing pulling it all together, that is harder to read than something where ever all of the information is aligned down the center or left aligned or right aligned or whatever it is. Pretty self-explanatory, but important. Keep it more visually organized, basically. The next one again, might be pretty obvious, but I think people need to do this one more. It's called chunking. It is a technique of combining many units of information into a limited number of units or chunks. So the information is easier to process and remember. If you think about even an email, if you write a full email that's just a paragraph long versus writing two or three sentences of one idea, enter, enter, write another sentence, enter, enter, another sentence or two. So you're breaking up that chunk, that paragraph of information into three smaller chunks so that you can read it easier. And it also helps with like recalling information and retaining information, which kind of goes into the next category we'll talk about, which is designing for memory. So it could fit into both. Um, the next one is highlighting. It's a technique for bringing attention to an area of text or image. So, you know, using bold italics or underlining, changing the typeface, like making something all capital as a title and then having subtext underneath it. You can use color to differentiate and highlight something. Um, so those are all, you know, if you want something to be big and bold and apparent, you want to use that technique in, in visual design. So the next visual design principle is color. So color is used and designed to attract attention, group elements, indicate meaning, and enhance aesthetics. So couple interesting things from the book. Um, you know, the number of colors. Use color conservatively, it says. Limit to what the eye can process at one time. You know, don't overwhelm. So when you think about branding a property or creating a visual identity for something, you don't want 12 different colors. You're going to confuse the user. And we also go into this in some other um, you know, recognition over recall and readability. A lot of these have similar ideas. Um, you want the colors to be consistent and kind of simplified and bold and memorable for that property or for whatever you're marketing. So use them limitedly, limitedly, if that's a word. Um, there are also color combinations that are aesthetically pleasing. You know, there are people who their full-time job is like a color, color specialist. So whether that's an in interior design or architecture or whatever, but there are colors that work well together and feel good visually looking at, you know, or there are colors that also are like, ooh, like, 
maybe hurt the eye or aren't aren't very gentle. So there are warm and cool colors. The warm colors are like yellow, orange, red. Those are also like advanced color or advancing colors. So when you think about like fast food chain colors, uh, Burger King, McDonald's, they're using the orange, yellow, red. Those are intentionally used because the, those advancing colors make you excited. They don't put you to sleep. They're like, mm, come and eat and have a good time at a restaurant kind of thing. If you think about spa-like environments or graphics, um, branding for things that you want to feel calm and serene, or are, they're all nature-y colors. They're those cooler colors, the blues, the purple, the greens. So color can influence how someone feels. Um, and then symbolism. So they talk about, I, I kind of just touched on that, but like effects of color on emotion or mood. And there's no universal symbolism for different colors. I think that might depend culturally, but for the most part as Americans and a lot of the colors, like I just mentioned, you know, those big, bolder, bright colors are kind of for exciting things. And then the, the cooler colors are for um, a, a little softer, or you can think of even if you have a property that is more, you know, maybe in the suburbs and it's around nature and it has some tranquil kind of elements to it, or it fuses nature and the design, you might want to pick a color palette that embraces those natural colors. Whereas if you have something that is more, architectural and modern and sleek, that's going to affect the color choices that you pick. And if you have something for a classroom space or, you know, a, a children's space, you might pick bigger, bolder colors that feel more kid-like. So I think we all have different meanings to colors. And I think the saturation and the way that those colors are used matter. So just think about that in your design. So the next two are pretty similar. Um, consistency and uniform connectedness. I wanted to talk about these because they also dip into the idea for designing for memory. Uh, consistency uh, in the first episode of this podcast, I talk about integrated marketing and that you want your brand to be the same across all mediums of information shared. And so this kind of ties into the consistency of your messaging, the consistency of your branding, like all of your content should look like it's coming from the same house. It should look like it's coming from the same marketing person. It should all be consistent. The, it should have the same color scheme. It should have the same logo use. It, it should speak the same message and have the same tone and voice. So that is consistency. And uniform connectedness, it's it's the same thing, but it is speaking more to what I just said is the uniform visual properties such as color. So when you have some sort of marketing graphic or um, 
I keep going back to property marketing because it's what I do often. But even if you're marketing for your firm, you want all of your external information to be connected by the visual properties that you have as a firm, your your brand and your color, font, logo treatments, your messaging, you know, your tagline. You want all of that information that you're pushing out to be connected visually the same way so that when someone comes across something that you've produced or you have sent out, it's immediately recognizable that, okay, this is from XYZ firm. So I think that one's pretty important. The next two visual design principles that I love are, one is called the Gutenberg diagram. And I learned this one in grad school and it's stuck with me always, but it's it's pretty much describing, so it's a diagram that describes the general pattern followed by the eyes when looking at evenly distributed information. So the biggest takeaway here, I don't, I don't want to like dig too deep in what they're saying, but in, if you're picturing an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, the primary optical area based on the Gutenberg diagram is the upper left corner. And then the terminal area, the ending of the information is at the lower right area. So it basically follows how we read books. You know, you start at the upper left and you read from left to right, and then you go down to the next line, left to right, left to right, left to right. You end at the bottom right. How this is important in information design, communication design, I think it's really cool to put information in those two optical areas. That's what I learned in grad school. We did a, we did a kind of a practice project. People are more likely to read the upper left corner and then the bottom right corner or the bottom in general and the top in general. It's just how we function and read a page naturally. So you can put the title of information or the title of a property or the title of the the proposal at the top. And people are going to read that first and foremost and know what you're saying, know what your general thesis is of this entire page. So it's important to kind of call that out, highlight it like we talked about. And then the bottom right or even just the bottom of the page, I always recommend that is kind of your call to action zone or it is your contact zone, most importantly. So there's all this information in the middle section, but the top is kind of your title and then the bottom right or mid bottom of the page in general call to action if it's an email put that call to action at the bottom they've sifted through the content and it's like boom like email this person or download this report or read more here or check out the website and then contact information that's probably easy enough to understand but this actually proves that this is the way that human behavior, how they read, matters. And you should think about that as you kind of put content on a page. Um, the last one I wanted to talk about is the rule of thirds the um, for visual design principle. So this is a composition technique where – 
if you have a picture, you know, a four by five or four by six rectangle, like a photograph, and you draw two lines down the center and then two lines horizontally. So you have nine, nine boxes. And then there are four intersections of the of the lines crossing. I wish I could like show you a video of this. It's probably difficult for me to explain verbally, but those intersections, those four, so it's three rows and three columns and there are four intersections. Those four corners are like where aesthetically it is so pleasing to see something important in one of those four intersections. It is interesting to look at and it's it and it feels good. So if you think about this in photography, um, you can line up the primary element of the photo in one of those four corners. Um, or you can have opposite corners. So they show in the book a picture of uh, Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier fight. And it's a great photograph because um, Ollie is in like the top right intersection and Joe Frazier is in the bottom left. And it's just, it feels balanced and it, it just feels good to look at. It's like a good composition of a photo. So whether you're doing some architectural photos or just any, any sort of marketing photos, you can kind of think of that in a photography sense, or you can also use this with text overlays on graphics and just know that those intersections, um, if you put something there, it's more, you know, it's easier to enjoy that information or, or digest it because of the rule of thirds. Next, I want to move into some of my favorites that I grouped together and I'm categorizing as design for memory. The first couple are kind of similar. The first one is exposure effect, and it is repeated exposure to stimuli for which people have natural feelings will increase the likability of the stimuli. So pretty much like if something is repeatedly presented and it's well-liked and accepted, um, that's a positive thing for recalling information. So if you think about like a song that is replayed, you know, you're like, oh, I'm so sick of hearing this on the radio. It is, it's the more like, it's more popular, it's more likely to become popular because it is repeated over and over again. So we see this a lot on radio and television. Um, The next, so that's just important to think about because the more that you, I think, introduce a positive marketing campaign, the more likely that person is to remember it. So if you do something, again, going back to integrated marketing, if you do like one marketing mailer, um, the chances are that that's not going to be as remembered if you did a series of five marketing mailers in a row or, you know, like spaced out, but like, so the more exposure you have, the more likely they are to remember it. I think that makes sense. The next one is very similar recognition over recall. So memory for recognizing things is better than memory for recalling things. So in the book, they, they give this example of a multiple choice 
question is more likely to be answered than an open-ended question because you are giving the person who's taking this test four options and a multiple choice that they can recognize one of the answers in there, then forcing them to do harder work of memorization and recalling it in an open-ended question where they have to like, they have to have the exact words. So how this applies in marketing and communications work and commercial real estate, we want to minimize the ways that we have, we force our audiences to recall information and we want to give them recognition of what we're trying to marketing over and over again. And it's so similar to exposure. So they get the more exposure that we put out there on the same branding or property or idea um, for whatever we're marketing, they will recognize it over time instead of, you know, you don't hear about a property for ages and then someone, you know, says the the address and you don't recall it. You don't remember it. So I think that in commercial real estate, we just want to not force our end audience or whether that's to brokers or whether that's to prospective clients or people we want to win business with. We don't want to force them to do more more work than they need to. Let's make it simple. Let's continue exposure of our brand and our ideas and who we are and make it recognizable. So the next couple could probably fall into visual design, but again, I think they're important to hear because of memor- memorization of information and just designing for human minds. The first one, readability. So the to the degree of which prose can be understood based on the complexity of words and sentences. I think this one's super important. I think that going back to making things and information as simple as possible, less is more. We are so, again, oversaturated with information and let's make it clear as possible. And that's what this design principle is saying. It says, omit needless words and punctuation. Don't sacrifice meaning or clarity, but really simplify it to emphasize what the message is that you're trying to say. Um, so, and, and how can you take something complex and make it pretty simple to understand? And that's what I love to do in proposals and pitches. And, you know, a lot of people might not understand what you do as an architecture firm or what you do in the construction world or what exactly your services are as a furniture vendor. Um, Are you helping me design the space? Are you just telling me how much a desk and chair is? So I think that you could use this technique to break it down, the complex process or the complexities of what you do and really simplify it for your audience to make it understandable and enhance the readability and just that they are understanding what you're saying. So 
Moving on, the next two are a little bit similar. Picture superiority effect. Pictures are remembered better than words, plain and simple. Pictures worth a thousand words. It's super true. So how can you use words and pictures together to reinforce the same message? There are a lot of other techniques in this book that talk about pictures specifically, like how some pictures can evoke feeling. Um, and I think just be mindful of what you're using as photo content and the purpose behind it. For example, one of these principles is like the baby face principle where baby faces and youth, like younger faces are more trusting because, you know, babies remind you of like kind of innocence. So in a human behavioral mindset, people, you, younger people or youthful looking people are more likely to be trusted in advertising campaigns. That's why you see it just like healthier looking people use in advertising campaigns, give a stronger message and you, you make, you trust the product more because you're seeing health, you're seeing a healthy person. So you kind of believe in that message more. So use photos, I think, especially in our, uh, our world of architecture, design, real estate photos we use often and just be particular about what you're using and why you're using so that you can really enhance your message. And be mindful that your your words, you know, are aligned with your pictures. And then the next one, iconic representation. This one's kind of cool. I think we're seeing more and more use of icons. And I, I believe it's because of a combination of these principles that I've already discussed. But how can we simplify something and make it a really gra like a graphic icon for something? Um so, you know, check marks are used for like checking the box and in this property has A, B, and C elements, check, check, check. Um, or, you know, I've used icons just to represent ideas. Like if there are six elements of this business that, we, that are important to this business, um, it's kind of chunking information and putting it under an icon, but like financially you have a maybe to represent financial positives and negatives of this situation. You have a money text icon. Um, if it's employee wellness, maybe you have a leaf icon. So that's representing wellness. And then you have text underneath it chunked and it allows the user to relate to a graphic in a very simple way in this icon that is recognizable and you know what it means. Just like a stop sign means stop. That's something universally, at least in America, we know that stop means the stop sign means stop. No, don't go any further. So using those symbols to relay a message, uh, I think it's, it's makes it kind of short and sweet and understandable. The last little design for memory tip that I wanted to talk about is called five hat racks. And it is the idea that there are five ways to organize information. And that is by category, by time, by location, alphabet, 
and continuum. So quickly I'll go through those. Category means by similarity or relatedness. Just like I said today, I kind of categorize these three ideas that I have a bunch of little tips to that fall un- into each one. So for me, I I do this often where I have a bunch of information, whether someone's giving me in a bunch of information, how can I group similar content together so that it is easier to understand for the end user or whoever is receiving this information. Um, the next the next way to organize information, time. Obviously, this is chronological sequence. So, you know, depending on the content you're sharing, instead of mix, obviously, the, it's going to make more sense to put the years of content in order if that's what you're talking about. Maybe you're talking about leases of a building or what's happened, put it in um, chronological order because we can understand that. Location. So organizing things by geographical or spatial reference. Um, Alphabet, pretty self-explanatory. You organize something in alphabetical order. And then continuum, that is by magnitude. So highest to lowest, best to worst, or however you're measuring something, um, high to low kind of situation, most votes to least votes, most email opens to least email opens, whatever it is. So those are super important and a great way for you to wrap your mind around a lot of content and information. How can you group it into things that make sense together? The final category that I threw some of these design principles into spatial design The first one I wanted to discuss is wayfinding. This is the process of using spatial and environmental information to navigate to a destination. So this is important, you know, for obviously bigger properties and complexes that have multiple buildings and whatever. You need some sort of wayfinding for the human experience to make sense for any visitor or any person who occupies that that area. Um, so a campus map or a, a building map, wayfinding with signs pointing people in the right direction, um, marking different routes throughout the property. Um, there I also think that wayfinding is important when I think about spatial design for trying to sell office space, um, which is what I'm experienced in. So if you, the tour day is pretty important when you have a group who's interested in seeing the space and you plan out a tour path, these, these brokers plan out, you know, a way for them to walk through the spaces that they want to show these prospective tenants to really encapsulate all the the best of the building and property and what they're going to get from their rent dollars. So when you think about wayfinding for that experience, you might want to consider how to guide someone through the building, or even if it's just a marketing suite or a spec suite and using arrows on the floor or using elements hanging from the ceiling that 
give a clear path of direction to the next destination. So that one's important. And it just makes the experience smoother and easier for the occupier. The next one I wanted to discuss is called nudge, nudge, N-U-D-G-E. It is a method for predictably altering behavior without restricting options or significantly changing incentives. This is kind of similar to what I just said with wayfinding. So a nudge would be like arrows on the floor. You're obviously nudging the user to walk this way. Um, it says in the book, people prefer the path of least resistance when making decisions. So lead them to through a path of least resistance with nudging, whether that's graphically, um, or using different elements in the building to again, create a path. Um, you're, you want to modify their behavior without forcing them. That's why it's called a nudge. But think about how you can creatively do that in in any sort of situation that you want. Think about what experience you want them to have and then how can you subtly subtly nudge them into that experience that you want for them. So there's a lot of intentional thought behind this one. They use an example, it's kind of funny. They use an example in the book. It says to reduce the cleaning burden of the men's restroom in an airport in Amsterdam, they etched a fly into a urinal near the drain. And the result, so basically they're they're pretending like there's this fly in a urinal to nudge men to aim better as they use the urinal and it says the result was an 80% reduction in spillage or misses. So, th- I mean, that's hilarious. That's a hilarious example. I love that. But you're not forcing, you're not like, you know, making anyone do anything. You're you're subtly trying to influence their behavior. And you can do this in a lot of creative ways. I love this one. Um. The last two are about spatial design again. I'm going to start with cathedral effects. So this is the relationship between perceived height of a ceiling and cognition. High ceilings promote abstract thinking and creativity. Low ceilings promote concrete and detail-oriented thinking. So I think um, I'm sure designers who might be listening in right now are like, duh, you know this. I think we know this in how we feel and we can lean on our own experience. Like when we are in a space that has really high ceilings and lots of window and it feels very open and free, I think that promotes a more creative thinking energy just in the environment that we are in. And then, you know, lower ceilings just make you feel a little bit more grounded and kind of maybe, I don't know, confinement in a way. So you might be more focused or you might be, you might function better if you're someone that thinks analytically in a low ceiling. If you're creative, you want kind of more openness and freedom and flexibility in in the environment that you're sitting in. So 
again, just food for thought to think about the spaces that you create and even how you might work and what you might need. The last one, spatial design, biophilia effect. I love this one. It is environments rich in nature views and imagery reduce stress and enhance focus and concentration. So pretty much it says here that exposure to natural elements produces restorative benefits. I think we've heard this in wellness design and green design. If not, you might have like, you know this yourself because you have a plant in your office. You're like, God, this plant makes me feel so much better throughout my workday. But I believe you. I believe you. I have a couple plants in my office. It's so much nicer when you have a window in your office. So this is just the general concept that the more you can be exposed to nature, views, sunlight, you have reduced stress, enhanced focus and concentration, and you're learning more, you're working better, and they've done lots of studies on this. So they, um, I think we, we can just like understand it from our own experience that nature is a, a healing thing. And really helps us produce better and feel better in our working environment. So again, think about that in not only your own needs for where you work and what could maybe help you, maybe your home office if you're working from home, but also thinking as an architect or designer or even um, an experience for, again, selling space Think about the vibe that you want to give off and maybe implement one of these techniques to your your spatial design and it might help with what you're trying to sell. And even experiential design techniques can influence whoever is coming into your space. So I hope some of these were helpful. I know some of them were a little bit tricky to maybe understand because they're so visual and this is a an audio, this is an audio podcast. So I apologize for it maybe um, being difficult to understand, but lots of cool tips in this Universal Principles of Design book. And I just wanted to share some of my favorites and some that I used often. I thank you for tuning in and I hope you have a great week. I hope you have a great day and I will talk to you next time. Thank you.